Hi, this is Clayton Coles, letterer at large, and you're listening to What's Your Issue? Um, before we begin real quick, yeah. um, my last name is pronounced Coles. I don't Coles. hold it against you, but I know people care about getting that right. So it's Coles. Clayton Coles. So when you do your introductory recording, recording later, that's how it goes. Coles rhymes okay. with Coles. I have been mispronouncing that for so many years and I do. So is everyone for- else. It's all good. <laughs> but, um, like the last time I did a podcast and didn't correct the host, they wrote to me later just apologizing profusely. So I'd rather just save you the grief. So hey, um, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Clayton Coles, man, that, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to untrain myself from thinking of Batman every time that I've said that for the last few years, which I'm sure is not uh, a unique story. But <laughs> eh. um, if it's any consolation, every time I write out my name, I. I spell it out phonetically in my head and I spell oh. it and I say like Clayton Cowless and which is even worse. So um, <laughs> the fault lies with us. We should really get it changed, but we're also stubborn. So <laughs> man, well, I, I appreciate it though. Cause I, yeah, I'm, I, I feel like most people are good about that. where like, they want to get it right. Mm-hmm. I know there's yeah. like, there's been so many creators throughout the history of comics that like have unique names and there's like there's one where um i think it's like doug doug monk doug mensch uh yeah where like that i've heard that pronounced so many different ways um but i don't know i don't even know what the proper one is now i can't even think of it i guarantee you i've never gotten it right (laughs) but yeah well thank you i appreciate it all right you're welcome um could you repeat the question, please? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so because I, I feel like through talking with our buddy Joe Sabino, like lettering is not a part of comic book creation that gets highlighted a lot. So I was just wondering how you came to lettering, how you came to that being kind of what you're known for within the comic book world. Right. Um, so I attended the Joe Kubert School. Okay. Um, right out of high school. And one of the classes that everyone is required to take during first year there is lettering. And um, I kind of had a knack for it. It really wasn't something I thought that much about. It's just um, they they talked about stuff like decent, like letter anatomy, legibility, and things like reading order and just like the basic elements of lettering, graphic design, how things should look, like do's and do not do's. <laughs> to quote the great Troy McClure. Um, <laughs> I did not mean to do that. Uh, and uh, I, and it just ended up being something I was really good at. I ended up, I was going to the school to become a penciler, but okay. during first year taking that lettering class, I got an A on like a few assignments that I was completely shocked by. So I thought, oh, cool. I guess I have a knack for this. Okay. I didn't think much of it until two years later when graduation was around the corner and I didn't really hold my artistic skills in the highest esteem, but lettering was just something I seemed to be really good at and set me apart from my classmates. So I thought, okay, how about I pursue this and use this as my foot through the comics industry door? And it ended up working out great. 
Um, one of my teachers was the great Gabe Bridwell, who I try to name drop whenever possible. Shout okay. out to him. <laughs> um, happened to meet Chris Heliopolis at an airport after some convention. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Chris runs um, the virtual calligraphy lettering studio, which yeah. handles about 90% of Marvel's output. And Chris was asked to bring on two more people to keep up with the increased workload. So um, he brought in Joe Sabino, poached him out of the bullpen, and um, he contacted my teacher and said, hey, are there any students who'd be interested in doing an internship? And my teacher recommended me. That's so I awesome. interned. Yeah. And he also recommended me for a couple of image books, one of which was Cowboy Ninja Viking. That was my first monster <laughs> title. That is wild. Yeah, that was a wild first gig. Let me tell you, I learned I learned a lot on that job. <laughs> who, and, who, um, who wrote that? AJ Lieberman. Okay, okay. With, I'm um, more familiar with the title, um, and I, it's one that I actually need to go back and look into more. But the title alone, yeah, is it's just memorable. So good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And Riley Rossmo on art. There was and is nothing else like it. That okay. crazy book. <laughs> uh, so I so I interned for virtual calligraphy for a couple of months, being mentored by Joe Caramagna, um, who's kind of the second in command there. And it okay. ended up going great. He thought I was really good and recommended me for paying work almost immediately. And I've been with VC ever since. Um, that was all the way back in 2009. And um, since then, I've been a Marvel mainstay, and I've done like image books on the side and around 2016 um tom king asked me if i would letter batman and i had to say yes to that you batman. have to say yes <laughs> <laughs> like yeah and like it's both batman and tom king you know how are you gonna say no to literally like one of the most iconic uh you know individuals in comics and batman yeah and it's not like batman colon something it's like no it's just Batman. It's the Batman book. The like, book. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to. So, like, uh, I with your with your credits, I a few titles jump out to me because when I go to, I, you know, I've gotten really weird with when I go pick out books. Uh, I look for certain people that either I've gotten to talk to or people that I just find you know common threads with in their books, and lettering has become one of them and i've noticed in your books just pile on the ones that i might be forgetting venom daredevil batman like you said uh uh various different x-men titles yeah and then you've done star wars like i feel like you've done like so many of the iconic titles that either comics or just like nerds in general love am i missing some that you know are should be fairly obvious to me uh well um i'm currently doing uh the let's see at least two star trek comics oh, um awesome. and that's a and that's a tentpole book to me like that's my it's my current favorite job the star trek books um i did spider gwen when that was starting out i was yeah. assigned to her for a number of years um i did loki and uh journey into mystery which i believe you're familiar with i am very familiar with and i yeah the <laughs> and i did fantastic four for a couple of spells too awesome so really there, there's 
Are there any like major characters? I mostly probably on the Marvel side, but characters you're missing? Um, I mean, I guess I've touched every major character in some way. Like I haven't lettered all of the flagship books, nor do I really yeah. aspire to. But okay. um, uh, I've like sure I've done a Captain America book, I believe, and um. And I did letter Iron Man for a while when Bendis was writing it. And um, that was a great job. I loved it. Um, what what made like, Bendis so cool to work with? Uh, he's just really professional. Um, it's one of those jobs that on the surface looks like it would be a nightmare, but his craft is so refined that once you find your rhythm in lettering a Bendis book, it takes almost no time at all. And his rewrites are so minimal because he's he's done the job for so long and he knows exactly what he wants to do that like once it's down there on the page, except for a few typos and maybe one or two balloons that it turned out didn't fit in this tiny panel or whatever. Yeah. There's just nothing to do. You turn in that first pass and it's done. <laughs> Boom. It's fantastic. Gail Simone is the same way. Oh, okay. This like usually do you find that with well, something you said right there kind of leads me off into a, maybe a little bit of a spinoff of sure. what makes, <laughs> yeah, what makes a book quote unquote easy to letter and as the opposite, what makes it harder to letter? Um, well, quantity of text it certainly is a factor. Um, but again, like there are some wordy writers like, Brian and Gail, who are very easy to letter for, like, yeah, you like once you've done one or two issues, you pretty much know what to do. And you just have to do that same thing, like 20 to 30 more times and you're done. Um, if a book is very light in text, then it's easy. Um, if a and um, also, yeah, like, as I kind of said before, if a writer just knows what they're doing and they're really and they're confident enough in what they've put down on the page, that makes an easy book. Um, the hard books really are ones where, like, maybe a writer's feeling a little bit nervous or um, there's some editorial ironing out to do. And, like, the really tricky books are the ones where there are a lot of rewrites. Oh, okay. Or if just the artist, say, hasn't left enough space for the text or... Um, has drawn characters in the wrong speaking order or hasn't made their panels big enough, et cetera, or they just didn't draw what was in the script. That happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I Then you have to get uh, like, you have to get playful with like how the tails connect and the ordering of, you know, the, the speech pattern. Yeah. And um, it's, like playful is like both the right and wrong word because I'm trying so hard to keep the work clean and non-distracting, but sometimes yeah. you do have to like, you have to get a bit acrobatic about it and uh, go like, okay, this panel has 10 balloons in it going to four different characters. I have to make them all like, <laughs> they all have to read in the right order and it has to not look like an octopus at the end. Easier said than done. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it all comes down to that. And just like anything else that happens in publishing or the creative arts, like if, like if someone doesn't hit their deadline and they're up the chain ahead of me, that's an issue. Or if somebody, something happens in somebody's personal life, et cetera, um, right. which is fine, that happens, et cetera. Uh, and yeah, just, just kind of the unexpected. 
Yeah, life's little snags, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I, I, I love asking this question of letters because I think one of the coolest things you guys get to do is play around with those classic and, and then sometimes even innovate new uh, sound effects. What's mm. your favorite sound effect effect that you've gotten to put into something? Um, you know, we, we know like the, the booms, the pows, and mm-hmm. maybe there's not as many of those these days. But what's like your favorite one you've gotten to put into into a book that's tough um i don't remember a specific sound effect that was my favorite but i can tell you my favorite note that i've ever received for a sound effect and it was in a ghostwriter comic in 2010 and um i think it was a boom or a bang or something and the note, which came from the great Sebastian Gurner, uh, read, <laughs> make this bigger and more, capital letters, METAL! <laughs> Five exclamation marks. <laughs> I mean, Ghostwriter, that makes total sense. You He's would like, want yeah, that to it, be that, as metal as possible. That's what that book is for. It's there to be metal. And uh, it was a fantastic note. <laughs> that, like... I've, I've, I mean, I've always been of the opinion and I'm like, I'm not the, I'm not like the world's biggest ghostwriter reader, but I, I do enjoy those books like Jason Aaron, Benjamin Percy, like mm-hmm. those guys just, they're like, it's like they were born to write that book. Like that book should read like a heavy metal album yeah. and the, the cover art, you know, has a certain vibe to it. Yeah. So like more metal. Yeah. I feel like that's like the 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 best way to describe Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Um you so I have a question about a book that you're you know you're doing right now. Well really a creator you're working with right now is you know you you've done quite a few Zadarsky books. Ah like with Daredevil and Batman and I know like Daredevil's coming Daredevil's come to an end and you mm-hmm. know Batman is you know within the first few still maybe the first year or two of him taking over and that fail safe story kicking things off. Um, yeah. I think it's, uh, I'm working on, I think the fourth story arc right now. Yeah. So Joker I, year one. Oh, okay. Right. 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 It was, uh, we've announced it already. Uh, <laughs> the, so like working with Zdarsky, I feel like he's a name that even a casual comic book reader would know. Mm-hmm. Um, like working on those books, kind of just his his vibe. What is what has that been like to, to be a part of the creative process with both for Marvel and for DC? Um, extremely professional. Chip might be the most professional writer I've ever worked with. That's um, awesome. And just full of surprises. Like the books he writes are very different from his public persona. So you go into it expecting a bit of levity, but um, maybe that's because he's rough. (laughs) Failsafe was intense. Um, (laughs) The very last issue, I went to my girlfriend's house and she goes like kind of sarcastically like, so what happened to Batman today? And I'm like, oh, honey. (laughs) Bad shit. Bad shit happened to Batman. (laughs) Well, uh, he died. Um, <laughs> he's like, really? Yet again. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> and, um, yeah. but like, maybe it's because it's Batman and Daredevil, which are pretty traditionally dark superhero comics, but they're just so serious and, but like perfectly executed. And he's another right. one of those writers who barely changes anything after the first pass has been turned in. Um, so 
Yeah, uh, I, I'll say it's been great. I love working with him. I'd like to keep doing it. And yeah. um, just the guy is full of surprises. You got to love it. The uh, you you kind of hit on something there of like the the other the darker titles and you've already like I I feel like when I look through your body of work over the last few years it's like dark edgy title dark edgy title like there's a lot of like kind of I don't know just yeah just darker things in there like is there like a a Care Bears book in you is there like a Scooby Doo <laughs> book in you I don't mean, like is that like do you have a dream title that you're like man it'd be really fun to shake it up and do that thing and, and I realize like I'm not asking that in like a whose job do you want to take Clayton but like is there a <laughs> is there a character that you maybe want to work on that you haven't had the opportunity to recently or at all um well it's funny you bring this up because my professional resolution for 2024 happy new year awesome. is um to <laughs> is just i just really want to try new things because yeah i've never heard anyone say that about my work before that so much of it is just grim dark edgy stuff and um I guess that's kind of the case, but that's also just maybe the state we're living in in terms of comics. And um, yeah. I am I am lettering like every single Tom King book, and <laughs> that seems to come with the territory. Um, but I would love to do something more lighthearted, if only to be doing something different. Yeah, I did this book a million years ago called Moonstruck, okay, uh, which was the, the published through Image Comics, which was a queer teen werewolf romance comic with a really fun cartoony style it's that's it's awesome it's like fantastic in this fantasy like half human half animal half monster town that adds up to 130 percent i know or 150 etc and um and i loved that job because it was i was i got to use a different style of balloon and i was challenged to like really stretch myself when it came to rendering sound effects because I couldn't just lean on the usual gritty ones that I use in the big two books. And yeah. um, and to have another book like that, not it doesn't have to be a queer teen fantasy werewolf romance comic, but just something, I guess bubblier is the right word. Yeah, Maybe um, a little yeah more, I would um... love to do something like that. I don't have a specific character in mind. I would hope it would be like an original IP, something creator-owned, because that stuff is good for my soul. It keeps me yeah, charged. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you, yeah, I'd love to do something like that. Um, yeah. Did you have? Um, I, I for some reason this this is this, this is correlating for me. Uh, did you have characters growing up where, as a kid, you were like you gravitated to this character or that team or? Um, I mean, maybe at one point that creator, we're going to talk about in a few minutes the book, mm -hmm. the issue that you chose for this is a um, an X Men related title. But were there things that you gravitated to as a younger person that informed kind of the the per, the fan you became? X Men. X Men. <laughs> yeah. That was a that was an easy softball. That's the uh, that's the big one. There are others, but X Men is definitely uh, like the biggest head on Mount Rushmore. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Um, well, I, I, I it makes total sense. Do you have a favorite X Men? Uh, it alternates between cyclops and rogue interesting yeah I, the, for some reason i don't feel like i hear cyclops a lot yeah i i feel like cyclops appeals to um 
a very specific type of guy who takes himself way too seriously. <laughs> so and is that you saying you? That's you been me throughout my life seriously? for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've I've mellowed out in recent years. I hope, but uh, yeah, when I was a kid, for some reason, Cyclops was the one who I latched onto. Um, <laughs> you're like looking over to your friends like guys enough with the silly shit let's get yeah. back to business <laughs> we're playing a game here we're, we're, we're using our imaginations we're not anarchists <laughs> like, yeah and despite everything he still gets all the girls so <laughs> it's, it's, it's so crazy he's he's kind of like the boy scout of the x-men and i don't know girls girls yeah dig but him. he gets he gets all the telepaths and i guess the <laughs> pirate boat queens or whatever <laughs> I uh so you know that obviously you're like X-Men obviously when we were talking through like the issue that um I I gave you the impossible task um which I How feel like is be- <laughs> I feel like it's becoming a thing here like I asked the question and the immediate response from those that I've asked it to is well you asked the impossible and it was like well you know what maybe that's just the maybe that's just the vibe of it um you chose an, uh, a story that I had never read before, uh, a, not really a team I had ever read before, but obviously there's some familiar faces in there. So, um, Clayton, I got to ask you, what is the issue that you selected for us to talk about today? And then we're going to dig into that a little bit and um, and and kind of tease, tease and tear that apart. I selected, drumroll please, Excalibur. <laughs> the Sword is Drawn by Chris Claremont, Alan Davis, and Paul Neary. The introductory graphic novel to the Excalibur Monthly Comic. Man, it, uh, it's so many both familiar things and uh, new things. Like, obviously, Chris Claremont doing a mutant book, not a mm-hmm. new thing. Um, but Excalibur, a brand new team at this time. So, like, why in... in this 1987 book comes out. Why does this book jump out to you, gravitate to you? What about it connected with, with a young Clayton? Uh, <laughs> 1987 was the year I was born. Okay. <laughs> so we're not, we're not that far. We're not that far apart. I now guess I, I resonated about with that. it. <laughs> Something cosmic about it. Um, <laughs> so I was, when I graduated from high school, I took a gap year between that and going to the Joe Kubert School. And, uh, and, and during that gap year, I worked at a comic book store, um, Wonderland Comics in Penfield, New York. Shout out. The cool, and, that'd um, be the coolest job. Uh, that's what I thought at the time. <laughs> and um, sure that's what a lot of people listening would be like, man, that'd be such a cool job. And then you're going to come along and be like, you would definitely think that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's work. Uh, yeah. Like I, I wasn't there to hang out. I was there to do to do menial tasks, and one of those menial tasks was um, organizing um, books inside of a very tight closet. Okay. It had to be at least ten thousand. So I was just this very narrow closet full of back issues, and. My job was to either organize stuff that had been misfiled or um, extract back issues that had been sold to a customer so we could restock them in the main part okay. of the store or to file away um, new back issues that a customer had just dropped off. Yeah. And um, when I uh, should have been doing my job instead, um, Excalibur, the sword is drawn and the rest of the series caught my eye. 
Um, I was already kind of familiar with Alan Davis and Excalibur. Okay. Just you have to know what Excalibur is because it's an X-Men spinoff. It had trading cards and stuff. And up to that point, my um, my superhero comics experience was fairly limited. Um, I was reading some current books, but most of the old stuff I'd read had just been um, Jim Lee comics, uh, okay. Joe Madwira comics, and um, and some X-Men John Byrne comics that I bought in a collection. And... Um, and I was looking at this book and going, this inking is really beautiful. And it really didn't look like anything else that I had been looking at the, at, at the time. And I turned it open and noted that, noticed that like this book is watercolored. It yeah. doesn't have the flat cell shady style of coloring that most books from back then had. And it was beautiful. The colors just left off the page and I'd never really seen a comic like that before, much less noticed coloring, period. And um, just the more time I spent with it, the more I just became enamored of Alan Davis's art and just how different it was from everything else I'd been looking at. Yeah. Every character in this book has a really distinct body type. So even if, Very they, true. Weren't wearing, even if they weren't wearing their costumes... You could still recognize everyone in this book in silhouette. And I was so impressed by that. And just the tone of the book was different too. Not so different from what I was already reading because Jim Lee, John Byrne, I was reading Chris Claremont comics. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, so it's the same writer with the same hyper verbose, uh, grand, uh, almost Shakespearean style at times. And, um, but it was done with in a deliberately hum humorous tone. Yeah. And like in most superhero comics, humor is peppered in like Spider-Man is cracking wise, etc. But humor was front and center in this book. Like, yeah, these are superheroes, but they're on more farcical adventures, battling villains who you aren't really taking as seriously as like no. Magneto or Galactus or whoever. <laughs> Not at all. They're battling... Uh, they're battling this group of incompetent alien bounty hunters and these chrome-plated wolves with beaks. <laughs> yeah, like the the group of bounty hunters, they all look like kind of like uh, Muppets that didn't make the cut. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> like there, there's, there's one of them is literally named Body Bag. <laughs> yeah. And his, his thing is, I eat people. Mm -hmm. It's I eat people it, and keep them in sacks on my back. And I look like some weird praying mantis guy. Yeah. Like, so this, since this is the, the beginning of Excalibur, which is a team that still exists into modern day and, you know, uh, an iteration of it exists into modern day. What, mm -hmm. um, Clayton, I might need your help with this one, man. Like this story, I, I was being dropped into this story Apparently the X-Men are dead at this point. Yeah. Mojo is after Rachel Summers and mm -hmm. she is wearing this like studded, like full body suit as the Phoenix. Um, <laughs> that outfit alone, like just needs to make a comeback. Um, and obviously yeah, get back to not... your Dom roots, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> not only are you this embodiment of chaos and rebirth, but also you're killing it mm -hmm. um 
obviously there's some familiar faces in here like kitty pride is there uh very well-known classic you know uh x-men from the claremont run uh nightcrawler and captain britain mm -hmm. which you might have to fill me in like how captain britain phil fits in with the x-men because i've always kind of known him as his um his own solo character i know his sister is is psylocke but um these familiar faces show up where are we at kind of in the in the x-men story at this point all right so um as you said the x-men are dead or so the world thinks um <laughs> this book was launched right after the fall of the mutants crossover where the x-men go to go deep in the heart of texas to fight uh forges uh, chief adversary codenamed, <laughs> codenamed the adversary and uh in order to defeat this weirdo demonic thing from some other realm the x-men have to like literally sacrifice their life force to banish it from this realm and so uh this uh Jesus Christ comics are weird <laughs> so this other totally 100 agree <laughs> Like this otherworldly goddess character named Roma, who is also related to what goes on in Excalibur, like cuts the X-Men a deal and says, okay, um, all right, all right, you guys can die, but um, I'm going to bring you back to life. And also you can evade like electronic detection for a while just to stay on the DL for a while. So everyone thinks you're dead and they're not and they're not all freaked out. Yeah. And the X-Men are like, cool, sounds good. We're going to go to Australia. So, so everyone thinks they're dead, including a few of their uh, teammates who were injured during the mutant massacre. Yeah. Um, so they had been left at Muir Island to recuperate. Uh, Kitty Pride existed as a ghost. Uh, Nightcrawler was in a coma. Colossus got injured too, but I guess he got better enough to go join the rest of the team in Texas to get killed, I guess. <laughs> And, um, and yeah, this book starts off with um, Kitty Pride, Nightcrawler, and also Captain Britain because he's yeah. related to Psylocke. They're all mourning the deaths of both their comrades and, in Captain Britain's case, family. Yeah. Uh, and it's a pretty, there's a pretty interesting thematic tie through this book that really just hit me as I was reading it for this thing that this book really is about death and rebirth. And um, because the Phoenix is such a core element of the story, I really should have picked up on that sooner. But we've got it now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, stuff happens that brings um, Captain Britain, who at this point really has nothing to do with the X-Men, aside okay. from guest starring in an annual a couple of, a year or two earlier that was also drawn by Alan Davis. Okay. Um, really, the only reason that Captain Britain and Megan are even here is because Chris Claremont really likes them. And <laughs> I mean, he, Captain uh, Britain's cool. Don't like uh, he's he's cool. I just like wasn't aware of any other connection other yeah, than he, Betsy mm -hmm. being an X Men. Yeah. Well, he created Captain Britain back in the back in the nineteen seventies, but then Alan Moore sort of revamped him and made him this like omniversal warrior instead of just the english captain america right and chris claremont like really loved what was done with the character and wanted to start writing him himself so like he kind of made excalibur around that like okay i'm gonna do another x-men spinoff since 
the first two we already have x factor and new mutants are so popular and i'm going to like bring captain britain and all of the elements of that into this and that's where TechNet, the group of incompetent bounty yeah. hunters comes from yeah they're originally captain britain villains okay and i'm i'm glad that um you connected those pieces because i was also wondering i was like hold on why why is like part of this in the mojo verse like why is part of this on set um and it's everybody's chasing after rachel summers because of yeah kind of what she's capable of and which is not an uncommon thing for people to want to stop the phoenix and the power of the phoenix but it's the it's the thing that rallies them all together and really it's we we discover the connection to excalibur and king arthur and all that towards the end of the book mm -hmm. when they've defeated the villains and Rachel gives that, you know, that rousing speech about them wanting to continue the fight. Even if, even if the X-Men are dead, like why should we stop the dream there? There and, is again, um, rebirth. <laughs> yeah. I, I love though. I, speaking of the Alan Davis art, I love the, one of the last few pages, we see this giant, uh, like flaming, uh, uh, vision of cap of King Arthur Mm -hmm. And then of Excalibur, the sword, and then the Phoenix. And they kind of ask themselves again, like, you know, do we want to stick together? or Should we all go our own separate ways? And the last page is this beautiful team shot of them all in their, their bright, you know, costumes all illuminated by the Phoenix. And it, I mean, it, it really does act as, you know, that origin story, that origin graphic novel to get, into the Excalibur series, um, which now, I mean, I'll be honest, thank you for the recommendation because now I actually want to go find out what continues to happen in this story. Oh, you're in for a treat. It's it's quite <laughs> excellent. So with, with your, with your kind of own storytelling creative journey and, you know, getting into comics, has this story resurfaced for you several times as inspiration the artwork what about this comic still stays relevant for you even though like you said it came out the year you were born right yes i was very late to the game i think just <laughs> well just the sheer visual beauty of it yeah like it's like i just don't get tired of it like i've actually bought multiple copies of this one book like with intent to like tear a couple of them apart and just paste the and paste pages around my studio as like coloring <laughs> inspiration yeah and it is just i think just in the same way that like any somewhat creative person keeps looking at something you just want to figure it out you know right. like i look at the inks and the and the line work and i just really want to like get inside of it you know figure and like decipher every line figure out how it was made and like how did you how did you alan davis and paul neary render such beautiful people and put so much energy onto the page and also there are just a lot of hidden jokes or perhaps not so hidden in this book that i don't really that i didn't really pick up on before like as i was reading this to prepare for the podcast on the yeah. very first page kitty pride is fast asleep in bed and she has a once in future king poster above her bed. Yes. What the hell kind of a teenager has that over her bed? <laughs> oh, that's so good. And she's like, there's a, on that same page, someone is handing her an X-Men comic. Yeah. And um, I, and it's one where they go to the Mojo verse. Very clever. 
Like that's I I love I love tiny little details like that. It's you know it, it makes like you were saying it makes books like this so fun to revisit because you're gonna find something you're gonna re-engage in a different way and you're gonna you know like you said yeah. the, the the death and rebirth thing mm -hmm. finding that theme you know what maybe a couple a decade and a half after you read it for the first time uh, yeah like actually reading the story instead of just looking at the pictures for a change. <laughs> So it makes comics like equally like so good, but also like, oh, man, I totally missed that because I was looking at the picture. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like watching an old episode of The Simpsons because they're so crammed full of jokes. But like sometimes you can just pause a freeze frame and catch like the hilarious name of a store or something. Bob's Burgers yeah. is like that, too. You know, but I was just going to say Bob's Burgers. Yes. Uh, like in the op in the opening credits of Bob's Burgers, they always change that one store's name. Yeah. The one right to the next. And I was like, I always get a kick out of that. But yeah, like old comics are, are so good like that. I was actually I was not it's not related to the creative team here. But last night. Uh, my son wanted to watch a superhero movie and I'm like, okay, buddy, whatever one you want to watch. And luckily my son is developing good taste and he picked the original Ant-Man movie. Uh, and I'm very happy for you. <laughs> he, and, and I noticed that the apartment that Luis and uh, Scott share is called the Milgram hotel. <laughs> and I was like, that you know, I mean, I've watched that movie like Clayton. I've watched it like half a dozen times, man. And I was just like, "Holy shit!" They they got Al Milgram's name into this movie. That's really cool. What um, a great shout out! Was in uh, like in Moon Knight, they uh, they call the insane asylum like uh, uh, Sinkevich like asylum or something like that. <laughs> like I just I love I love tiny little things like that. But yeah, you're right. This comic is. Full of little nods and references and cool, uh, cool, cool things. Even though, even when you see the the crowd in the uh, London streets, you know the quote unquote London streets, like you see all these different kinds of people, these different dressed people, and mm -hmm. that's something I find really cool too. Because you probably could have just phoned that one in and just made, oh, we need eight people in this train car. Well, let's just all kind of make them nondescript you know people well there's there's eight different very distinct people in that car and i just i love that little detail in there yeah there's like a there's like a touristy cowboy there's a punk rocker right. there's a nun uh <laughs> there's somebody wearing a turban looks like the london i remember <laughs> well, what's there's there's a there's a person on the street later that's like man london is getting crazy man <laughs> <laughs> i um i just because this was my first time reading an excalibur book and um between yourself and uh ethan Sachs having me read uh, uh god loves man kills um, oh boy you're i have i enjoyed that thoroughly uh, i was well. very close to um naming that as one of my favorites from the list to make you choose from well, I, like that I is hope... the x-men book that i recommend to people who've never read x-men before like if you don't like this you're just not gonna like x-men and you know what i i'm now i'm thankful for that because like, god loves man kills is very heavy yeah and it was very like introspective and i, I told ethan this I, I had a lot of personal connection with the story as well but also like this kind of showed the fun kind of wackier side of of an x-men adventure and I, that i 
I loved as well. And it, it reminded me of how much I really do love Nightcrawler mm. and how entertaining he is, how, uh, also he feels like kind of the conscience of this book. Yeah. He, he seems to always wind up being the heart and soul yeah. of like any team that he's on. Yeah. Um, I just, the, I was lettering way of X and Legion of X, which were the two awesome. books for a spell. Yeah. And, uh, like those books were kind of just about that. Like, okay, how do I be the heart and soul of an entire island nation and <laughs> trying to thread that needle, create a religion, uh, like save people who maybe don't deserve to be saved <laughs> in the eyes of others. Like a big thing about those books was him trying to like redeem Fabian Cortez and giving him a place to yeah. belong. Who's like just, who's been this totally insufferable homicidal self-centered narcissistic supervillain for as long as he's been around but he found a home for him and that it turned out that was all that guy needed he just needed a job where he could put his powers to good use and yeah and like oh i guess we're okay with him now all right i i love that kurt is kind of that thing he's like people have always you know people other people on the outside have looked at me a certain way well i'm gonna choose not to look at others this certain way yeah <laughs> um he, and and they even um in uh in this they, they even say like you know kurt's had people just you know discriminate against him for for so long you know but yeah he still treats people with kindness um yeah. and it's kind of his, it's kind of his his unmarketed superpower is that he doesn't in in general he doesn't inflict the discrimination on others that has been inflicted upon him yeah he also gets hit on constantly i mean <laughs> look like he he gets almost as blue much elf tail man. as cyclops <laughs> he's, i mean he's no cyclops but like you know he'll he'll get there someday not he'll even wolverine is cyclops and he's trying <laughs> We should find a meme where they remake the uh the 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 Wolverine in his bed with the picture meme and with just with Nightcrawler. Yeah. <laughs> he does um, really like Nightcrawler. Yeah. They I, are besties. So, were there any uh other like I don't know, like things from this book that maybe listeners can go find, um, seek out, things that you think are important about this book before we uh we slowly uh, get to the 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 landing of the plane. Uh, I I guess just get in there and see for yourself. Um, I do love that Nightcrawler. I just noticed this little element, like when he he's doing his little bit of rehab in the gymnasium, where he's learning how to sword fight again, and he's sword yeah. fighting pirates, but they're all wearing like feathered musketeer hats. Right. <laughs> they're three musketeers. <laughs> like I'd never noticed the hats before all this time. I guess I was just paying so much attention to the bars and Nightcrawler's gestures and dialogue and stuff. Like, oh, these fucking things are wearing. Sorry, these things are wearing <laughs> <Go ahead>. hats. <laughs> I well, uh, he. He also like one of my favorite things about him in this book is that when he goes to to beat up Brian and throw him into the ocean, he's <laughs> he's wearing like the most traditional longshoreman outfit. Yes. It's like he just had that. He just had that somewhere. <laughs> I also oh like God. um I like inspecting the character Gatecrasher, who's the leader of TechNet, and she has a pretty distinct speech pattern, and so does there's a weird lizard guy who's always clinging yeah. to her who calls her mother. 
which is a very 2023 thing to do. And, <laughs> and she constantly tells him to stop and he can't. But like, I just like looking at the character of Gatecrasher and going, this must have been somebody at a party that one of the creators knew and said like, this person yeah. sucks. I'm making them a super villain. And their name is Gatecrasher. Like what yeah. else could it have been? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not, if, if, if it's a jab, it does not feel like the most subtle jab. Yeah. Like if this is a friend of yours, they're they're not your friend anymore. Well, and also they like they speaking of like weird like kind of things about the the characters in here. Uh, one of the warwolves is named Bowser. Yeah, <laughs> like just outright. Oh, and, and Rachel has a full on conversation with this one warwolf, and it's like Bowser. You know, I was forced into signing Mojo's contracts, and he's mm -hmm. like, "Well, we're still chasing you down because you have to make good on your contract." She keeps saying Bowser. I'm like, and no one from Nintendo was like, "Hey, by the way, um, that's that's our name." Like, <laughs> what's going on there? Was Mario around back? Yeah, he must have been around. Well, back no, then. I think the first Mario game comes out in ninety ninety eighty nine. But what about no. like it? What about in the arcade? Not at home, but like. Oh no! It would have been. It would have been the '80s. I'm thinking of the first. I'm thinking of the first one I owned, which is Super Mario World, which is definitely mm -hmm. not the first game. Anyway, that doesn't. That's not. Um, that's like not important. My my Mario knowledge is limited. I just like he was in the original Donkey Kong arcade game, right? Right. Hold on. You know what? So maybe Bowser not? was around back then, or I don't know. Maybe it's just a common name for a villainous dog <laughs> dragony guy so oh wow we were we were both uh a ways off <laughs> mario's first appearance is in donkey kong the arcade by the the cabinet game in 1981 all right so yeah <laughs> they so i can yeah bowser and donkey kong and mario they would have definitely been around at this point so i don't know man i bowser felt like a weirdly specific name to call a character yeah. in this book but i mean anyway well, maybe it's another like knights of the round table nod that's just the guy they don't talk about <laughs> he said all the, the knights table. uh yeah. you know lancelot sir sir Gwen, and uh bowser in the corner there. yeah Bowser the Bashful. We don't talk about him. He he, he gets shy. He's yeah. Really shy. Uh, <laughs> well, when, when they shout charge, he stays home. <laughs> he, he's like, I will make sandwiches for when you guys get back. That's right. Uh, I'll keep an eye on the castle. Wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, Clayton, thanks for choosing that comic band. It was it was a whole lot of fun to to dig into. Um, and uh, I I wanted to uh, do our five get to know you questions here at the end because uh, I think we're gonna have. I think we're going to have a good time with these. Um, so number one, uh, we always start with, if you could have one superpower, what would you choose and why would you choose that superpower? I would, uh, I'd want to travel to alternate timelines. Oh. And um, I want to do that because I just want to see what things would be like if something else had gone differently. I want to see big things like what if World War II had never happened and okay. like what if the what if the asteroid that took out the dinosaurs never hit earth and i also oh. want to know like 
what if Captain Picard had been written out of Star Trek The Next Generation at the end of season three and the show had continued with Will Riker or whatever? Or oh, um, like, uh, what if the Beatles never broke up? Or Okay. Yeah. And just like other, like just other little things where like the fabric of life maybe could use a little tug and let's see what happens to the rest of the tapestry. So see what happens with the butterfly effect. Yeah, with, I uh, think a lot a about the butterfly different... effect. <laughs> or then could be considered healthy. Do you think more about the concept or the uh, early 2000s movie? I've never seen the early 2000s movie. Okay, that's then probably that... for the best. Not not uh, a hard question to answer. Um, <laughs> I think that's a good one. I think that's one that could definitely... That's a very thought-provoking answer um, because you could just... Man, there's no limit to what you could use that to go see and inspect and research. Yeah, I could be like equal parts entertained and horrified until the end of time with a power like that. And I have no interest in knowing like what happens to me in any of these worlds. So like if I have to throw like a caveat in there, like, okay, you can go to other dimensions, but you can't visit yourself. I'll say, awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, by the way, other Clayton is right over there. I'll, I'm going to bounce then. <laughs> All right. I'm activating the restraining order. <laughs> On myself. Yeah. Oh, get out of here. What, what is uh, second question is what is your number one pet peeve? Um, my number one pet peeve, the one that I can think of in this moment is the use of the use of the word till and it's using T-I-L-L instead of apostrophe T-I-L drives me crazy. Okay. And, um, I complained about it on Twitter once and some guy who doesn't follow me and who I guess just goes around correcting people's grammar found me and explained that T-I-L-L -L actually is like the classically English correct term to use. And instead of picking a fight with this guy, which I really wanted to do because my ego was really wounded by that, I just let it go. But it still gnaws at me. Um, and because uh, <laughs> until is... is a device. It's a thing that people use to feed the world. And <laughs> Oh, I also, I have another one, too, that ties into okay. that. I can't stand the use of the word addicting as a substitute of addictive. Okay. Like, addicting as an adjective drives me crazy. I, you know, I've been asking this question for a few years now, and what I love is you did a first-time thing. You mentioned a word that you find to be a pet peeve. <laughs> Usually people are like, oh, I find this act... Or I find this like this type of person bothering. You're like, no, no, no. Specifically, these words are the ones that I, <laughs> I, have, I have an issue with. Um, I, well, I spend that... a lot of my life crafting words. Right. And <laughs> like, I get that till note a lot and it drives me crazy. And <laughs> I, so uh, I, there's like, so a word related thing. I, I dislike when uh, one of my pet peeves is when people call movies shows. Ooh, that's a good one. Like, like not oh even my films, gosh. shows. No, just shows. Yeah. Uh, films, film, I find douchey. But, um, <laughs> but then like, then I'll do it and someone will be like, hey, you said film. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm trying to I'm trying to grow as a person. Um, <laughs> but uh, number three, what is your go to snack 
or drink? Uh, what is the context? Uh, What time of day is it? okay. Okay, a uh, two-pronged Paint me approach. a picture. Two, okay, I'll <laughs> ask it two different ways. okay. Um, give me an answer for, like, middle of a work day, you're getting hungry, but you, you're it's not like a lunch or a dinner yet. And then the other half is work is done. Maybe you're sitting down for a movie or a game night or something like that. Okay, um, midday, it would be a cup of Bones flavored coffee. I'm not being paid. And, um, But you should be. <laughs> <laughs> and, Bones um, flavored coffee. and uh, these days, it's just a sliced apple. Okay. Uh, a sliced honey crisp apple. I love it. Honey crisp apple is objectively the best answer. Hell yeah. Thank you. Um, It's the best apple. <laughs> It's yeah, the best apple it's by far. it's the it it's the red delicious apple, not the red delicious apple. Those things are mealy. I hate them. Oh, they're, they're mainly is, I was going to say grainy and they just like, Also they works. feel, they feel like pre-chewed <laughs> almost yeah, <laughs> like it's bird they just, food. it's, it's like you bite into it. I, okay. Small little tangent on this. I Hit me. bit into a red delicious. I worked as a, a produce manager for a while, um, for a few years, actually through the pandemic. And I would, you know, if, if something was needed to be tried, I was the one that would try it. And I could not stomach trying red delicious apples because Oh. I would bite in. I'd be like, it, it was like my first research. I was like, well, what was the fucking point of that? Like, I, I just, I want to unbite into that apple now. Um, Man, you should get time and a half for that. I, you know what? Retroactively, I think I'm going to use your superpower to go back and change what I should have tested and tried. No, Honeycrisp <laughs> Apple, Honeycrisp apples are the freaking bomb. They yeah. are awesome. They're just the right amount of juicy. They're just the right amount of tart. And, Right. um, and I'm not sick of them by the time I'm done eating them. Right? Like, it's... You're right. There, there's an apple out there. Um, it's a it's a cross it's a crossbreed uh, of an apple. It's called a cosmic apple. I think I've had it. It's 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 Honeycrisp like, but uh, it's they're usually gigantic. They're usually huge, like a softball. Um, I don't know. That's something. That's a lot of apple talk. That's a lot of apple talk. Um, <laughs> someone someone's gonna pop in and be like. They started talking about X-Men, but then there was this Apple thing at the end. <laughs> that seemed very important. It is <laughs> important. You guys it is to very learn important. something from this. Apples are Yeah. good for you. Apples are good for you. Also, coffee is good for you. Um, Uh, kinda. maybe, maybe. You know, <laughs> I'd like to think it is. Um, Every time I visit my doctor, she tells me to drink less coffee. And three months later, I'm right back to drinking the same amount I was drinking before, which is usually five cups a day. I am, I'm at least a three cup a day guy. Uh, I, I would be the person that would tell the doctor, uh, you know, they'd be like, Hey, you should really cut back on coffee and be like, well, what are you a doctor? Uh, yes, I specifically am a doctor. Uh, number four is when you're not lettering comics, what are you doing for fun? I have the second part of the last question to answer. Oh yes. Uh, for evening, evening Yes. time. Yes. Evening. Uh, if I'm feeling bad enough, the snack is a, is a, <laughs> is I may it, have to chop that up. <laughs> make it a drop. If I'm feeling bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, 
And uh, to drink is either a glass of single malt scotch. Ooh, or, oh, yeah. Scotch and cookie, dude. It's living. <laughs> scotch <laughs> and, and cookie. <laughs> it's either that or um, or a can of Von Trapp beer. I'm a big fan of theirs. Okay. The family from The Sound of Music, or like their descendants, rather, um, they have a brewery and they make the most fantastic beer on earth. It's so delicious. Is that is that like a local brewery around where you're from? Um, they're they're based in Vermont. I'm in upstate New York, um, okay, so maybe okay. it's so maybe it's regional. But um, okay. it started showing up here five ish years ago, and like I'm like ninety nine percent brand loyal to them at this point. If there's Von Trapp anywhere, that's what I'm having. Okay, I we so we have a we have another uh, show on on our feed called Superpower Happy Hour, mm-hmm. where we you know we've been going through this season doing first appearances and we're drinking beer as we're as we're talking about it, and I've been doing I'm from Nebraska so I've been doing local Nebraska stuff and nice. it's just been fun that like uh, this this topic showed up in the previous creator uh, chat we did. Um, and I got to learn about new New York microbrew, you know, Vermont sounds, that sounds great. I, uh, I'll have to look for that. Maybe, maybe that's something that could show up at a, like a bottle shop somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you, you might have to go to a specialty store. It, yeah. It's a little bit tricky to find around here. They used to have them in the supermarkets and that recently changed. Ugh, so I bummer. can find them either in the specialty shops or 7-Eleven. It's so weird. 7-Eleven. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, so check you... your local 7-Eleven for Von Trapp. <laughs> check your local 7-Eleven. Uh, by the way, I feel like Scotch and Cookie is the name of like the newest indie book. Maybe that's the lighthearted indie book you need to do is Scotch and Cookie. Oh, um, man. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> when you're not lettering comics, what are you doing for fun? Like, what do you do to unwind? Um, I enjoy reading. Uh, when I'm really trying to unwind and get away from the job, I'm reading prose, nonfiction yeah. or novels. Um, I'm about to start uh, the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Okay. And uh, I just finished um, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Okay. Which is marketed as a self-help book but it's really a political manifesto about how terrible social media and advertising is love it recommend it (laughs) probably can't disagree with that one yeah and i read another book called the big break which is kind of about the remora class of people who hang out in washington dc like chiefs of staff for uh senators and lobbyists and wannabe lobbyists and pollsters and stuff uh interesting read it might not make you feel better about the world, uh, but uh, <laughs> a lot of dynamic characters in that book. I'll just say I that. Have, I have no doubt. <laughs> uh, so, I, well, that's that's great. I mean, um, yeah, I'm 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 always looking for recommendations. I'm more of an audiobook guy. I have mm. my job. My job necessitates a lot of driving, so I'll have to look some of those. I have to look some of those up. Yeah. Um, uh, if I just got the audiobook for sure i'll join your cult by maria bamford and i'm really looking forward to diving into that i find her hilarious so she's the best uh, man she's great and i'm really hoping like i guess her parents are in the book a lot and i'm really hoping she does like her mom impression throughout most of the book because i just love it man she <laughs> she's she's cla- it sounds weird to say this but she's classic at this point yeah she's like classic stand-up 
Um, yeah, she's so, like the Dolly Parton of stand-up at this point. Like <laughs> The Dolly Parton of stand-up. <laughs> That's an awesome, awesome uh, description. Uh, so last question, Clayton, um, and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll hype you up and hype up the projects you're working on. If Ooh. you could see one person uh, basically fill your seat on what's your issue, who would you recommend or nominate to, uh, to, to do this? I'm going to nominate my school buddy, Tad Galusha. Tad Galusha, an, okay. Yeah, he's an indie comics artist, hell of a talent, and also one hell of a big personality. I love that guy. And uh, he would have a lot of interesting things to say here. Awesome. I So I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, reach out to Tad and see if that's uh, something he's he's wanting to do. And are there any books that he's uh, doing or working on that maybe listeners might know? Um, he did a book. I think it's called Cretaceous, and it's a mostly silent comic book about just the life of a dinosaur. I think a T-Rex. Oh, awesome. And he, he's done... He's done a lot of stuff. He did a Bubba Hotep comic a few years ago, and okay. um, and uh, a book I think called Space Trucker that was uh, funded on <laughs> Kickstarter. If it's not called Space Trucker, that's what it's about. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, I, I can, I can, I can imagine that. Oh man, Space Trucker sounds kind of cool. Also, Silent yeah. Dinosaur comic. You, you mm -hmm. had me at Silent Dinosaur comic. Um, well, I'll, 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 I'll reach out to him. I'll, uh, I'll say that he's, uh, he's been kind of nominated. Um, so Clayton, man, how can people reach out to you? Check out what you're working on. Um, just, yeah, support you, you know, thing, things like that. Visit your local comic shop. <laughs> um, my only, my only online presence is my Instagram account. It's just my name, Clayton Coles. Once a week, I post whatever book I, I post previews for whatever books I worked on that are coming out. And if I make a sound effect that I'm happy with, I'll post a picture of it. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's how you can find me. And, yeah. Everybody do, seriously, at least go follow Clayton on, on Instagram because I enjoy the breakdowns of like, Oh, I did Batman and this and that and all this week. Cause it, uh, it keeps me in the loop of like the creators I enjoy and what they're working on that week. And really, for lettering, it highlights how much you guys do all the time. Yeah, we're pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, me, Sabino, the rest of the VC crew, we're stuffed to the gills. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, man, that that now this episode brings to to the close the the second VC crew member that we've gotten to talk to. Uh, you know, look out. You know, the rest the rest of you guys, uh, you know who you are. Um, so uh man, Clayton, thanks for thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for sharing your issue uh with us, the the beginning of Excalibur. It was a whole heck of a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I love talking about it. And it was nice talking to you. You're a nice guy. Clayton, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Uh, Joe's Joe's recommendation was definitely, you know, a, a solid one. I'm I'm glad we I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, everybody, if you want to check out what we're doing on many paths, we got a few things. You know, uh, we should be wrapping up our first series. 
on Superpower Happy Hour, uh, the first uh, first appearances of iconic superheroes. We are ending with a bit of a, a doozy uh, on a, on the last few episodes, so be sure to check those out. We've got more of these What's Your Issue chats. If you haven't checked out our conversations with Philip Kennedy Johnson and Ethan Sachs, be sure to go back and check those out. They were a lot of fun, and those guys were just, you know, so delightful to talk to and we got kind of in in the weeds on their comics just like we did with clayton today so go check that out on instagram at many paths official we would love your follow there or check us out on patreon we've got a bunch of bonus content there and i'm sure you'll enjoy it it's a lot of fun if you enjoyed this conversation you'll enjoy that so until we see you next time on what's your issue have a great rest of your day bye